that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Thursday edition. We're recording this Wednesday night. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com, and uh, a mob stormed the Capitol. So that happened. And so we're not going to talk about that. But I got to tell you, it's a little weird to talk about football on a day like this. But we're going to do it anyway. But I am reminded of this book, and I was just double-checking it because I read it when it came out, by Michael Rosenberg, who wrote a book many moons ago now called uh, War As They Knew It. And it's a story about Ohio State. It's a book about Ohio State, Michigan, and Woody and Bo in the 60s and sort of like the era of while this great football rivalry was going on, there were these war protests and campus uprisings and that kind of thing. And it's it's hard for me to not for all of us to not think about like this football season is taking place in the midst of all these things that are shaping American history in a bunch of different ways. And so they're going to play a college football national championship on, on Monday night. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but, you know, down the road, somebody's going to do something. We're all going to look back and try to weave how we were thinking about football and normal things in life in the midst of a pandemic and a mob storming the Capitol and that kind of thing. And it's hard to wrap your head around. It's hard to wrap your head around. So we are not a political podcast and we're not going to talk about that. But it's weird, man. And like I thought initially, I didn't get on any calls today. Nathan and Steven did actual work today. But the Ohio State interviews were like delayed, right? The start of them sort of like as the Capitol was being stormed by the mob. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, are, are they going to not do this? Because it's like, oh, maybe we won't do football interviews in the midst of a, an attempted insurrection in the country. And then it was just what? They were just late getting out of practice. <laughs> that's that's what we were told. I mean, we, yeah. we didn't have a cam on practice, obviously. We were told they were just running league. Yeah. So the interviews marched on. So, but then, I mean, like, again, it's like I was doing some Brown stuff and I'm finishing another Browns podcast and there's stuff going on. And I'm, it's like, you it's like, it's, you could do a split screen and it's like, here go the people into the Capitol. Here's Carrie Combs talking about Jalen Waddle. And it's like, a little bit is like, what are we doing here? Well, but- and I was texting during this time and we were hearing from both sides of it. There were definitely immediately people who were like, Hey, bro, I don't know if you know this, but like there's a coup happening, <laughs> like maybe chill with the football talk. And then there were other people who were like, man, there's some crazy stuff going on. I'm really glad I've got football coming from you into my phone to distract me from this nonsense. So we got both sides. I hope we got the right balance. Yeah, I think you guys did a good job with that. So um, that's what we're I mean, that's what it is. Sports is always a distraction, but you don't want to be detached, detached from reality and unaware but also if you allowed like real world events to prevent you from talking about sports, you'd never talk about sports because there are terrible real world events happening every day, every week, every month, every year. If you really want to get onto it, life is both wonder- wonderful and tragic simultaneously all the time. And we play sports through it because sports is part of the wonderful. So that's what we're doing. You know, boy, you do start a podcast and be like, hey, how are you guys doing? It's a big game. You know. We live in the world, so we lived in the world for four minutes. As I said, I don't know what's happening. The Browns also—I mean, it was so it's crazy that you. 
I don't know what's happening. And you're not really sure which thing you're talking about. It's, it's a remarkable. It's just a remarkable, a remarkable week in a million different ways. So you guys are locked in on what was happening with Ohio State and Alabama today. Nathan's going to take the lead on topics to cover. And as we discuss this, Nathan said, well, Doug, if you didn't pay attention to the information and you're not leading the discussion, what are you going to do? And I said, as with everything, just because I don't have any information doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. So I'm going to chime in with uninformed takes. And Buckeye I think, talk. I, I think each time you do, I think it should be in a different, it should be an homage, it should be a different voice from the 2020 season. We'll, we'll have Please to guess go. which voice it is. A little callback to, to yeah. one of your impressions. Uh, let's do that. All right. It'll mostly be Cocho. But... Are you ready? <laughs> oh, uh, saw them people storming the Capitol there. That's no way to go about it in democracy. Uh, all right, Nathan, take it away. So today we talked to Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian and six players, and we talked to Ohio State defensive coordinator Kerry Combs and six players, uh, defensive players for them, offensive players for Alabama. They balance it out like that. And the one player who probably got the most questions about him from both groups was a guy who may not even play in the game, and that is Jalen Waddell, the star receiver for Alabama. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, confirmed that he did return to practice on Tuesday. Um, Devonte Smith was asked about him and said that he thought he looked good, that, um, that there's obviously a long way to go. They don't know if he's going to play or not, but that it was kind of an encouraging thing to see him out there on the field. And he obviously by that reaction and also from Mac Jones, sounds like he didn't get out there and hobble all over the place and, and look bad. So uh, on the Ohio state side of things, I thought it was interesting that Kerry Combs was asked, um, you know, how do you, you do, do you go in planning to have to face him? And basically he said, absolutely. You have to prepare that he's going to play. He's an extraordinary athlete, an extraordinary receiver. You play, you can play. He only played five games. Did you watch the tape? He's a special player. And I actually hadn't realized I went back and looked, I had seen stories that said, well, here's what he did in those first four games. His first four games were outstanding. I think he was over he was over 100 yards in every game. He had at least one touchdown in each of those games except one, but then he had two in another. He was phenomenal. It was like it, it, and it, it reminded me of like we're trying to put this in perspective, right? I mean, we all made a big deal about how big of a deal it was going to be if Chris Olave came back from his COVID absence, how much they missed him against Northwestern and how much it was going to help them against Clemson. This is that if he's able to come back and I don't know if he's able to come back hundred percent, but I would think it, it you're adding that kind of talent into an already talented offense. So Steven, just real quick, when, when I had uh when Michael Casagrande was on yesterday's podcast, he was talking about how electric Waddle is. And then Steven, I still think at this point, you've probably watched more Alabama uh, than us. It, it, is the right comparison that Devonte Smith is the Olave and Waddle is the Wilson yeah. and that, yep. that, when you lose just the electric, just explosive guy, what you had left was just this ultimate, complete route, hands, technician, speed, everything receiver in Devontae Smith. And they leaned on him so hard, he won the Heisman. But Waddle is like a rocket ship. And that, that's, that's how it would be. Olave's just the complete consummate receiver and Wilson's the rocket ship. That's exactly what it is. And I think the main difference is one, Devonta Smith's better than Chris Olave and better than Garrett Wilson at this point in his career. But also, I think what helped at that situation was the run game had already been established at 
Alabama. And so you were already worried about that in a way you maybe weren't worried about it with Ohio State. So it wasn't all or nothing on Devonta Smith. You had to at least pay a little bit of attention to Najee Harris, which opened up those deep ball threats, which opened up those screen passes on the perimeter and all this other stuff. While obviously we didn't see what Garrett Wilson looks like without, I mean, we didn't see what Chris Olave looks like without Garrett Wilson, but we've seen it the other way around where when you don't have that outside guy, who's maybe a more complete receiver at this point, and you're not still not really completely sure about your running game yet. It just kind of stagnates your offense. So yeah, that's the perfect comparison. It's the explosive guy in the slot where you're like, oh, look at all this stuff he can do versus the outside guy who's just a little bit more complete at this point in their career. Does it make sense on any level that when you have those two guys, it maybe is easier to lose the rocket ship because then the complete total receiver just is sort of able to fill in every gap and he still runs great routes and he still gets open and he's still super athletically gifted, but that Garrett Wilson certainly seemed to struggle without Chris Olave where Devonte Smith thrived without Jalen Waddle. And maybe it's because of the different, the, they, they play different roles in the relationships, but now the situation, I mean, Nathan, right. If they're back, my gosh, it's like you lost the rocket ship. So then <laughs> Like the solid technician won the Heisman, and now the rocket ship's back. It's like now, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about, is it not? Yeah, and then on top of that, there was another receiver, John Michi, who was there today, who was part of interviews today, and and, and someone who's been productive for them too. I mean, it's it's this is a this is a challenge. I mean, it's it's another step up over obviously what Ohio State had to do last week, and um. I, I I thought one of the, the the more funny moments of the day, a moment of levity, was um, John Michi was asked, like, "Well, can can any one defensive back cover Devonte Smith?" And he said, "Nah." That was really that was like the extent. It was literally a two word answer. It was like no, and then he said nah after that, like just to emphasize it. And so that's already a problem. I think it's he's probably being giving an accurate read there, and then and then on top of that, now you might be trying to weave this other guy back in there along with all the other offensive weapons, as you say. And, and I think that's the, the crucial thing, Stephen, like, cause I would argue that Ohio state's Ohio state's running game has more or less been established all season. I you know, the Nebraska game was a little tough since mm-hmm. then though. I think it's been pretty consistent. It's just, but I would say that they're running back, like their lead back They're yeah. they're a standout guy wasn't necessarily established. And now that's the thing is you've already, you've got that to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and they're adding that with Trey Sermon, but with Alabama, you've already got that to deal with, and you've got Devontae Smith, and you've got a quarterback who can probably make a lot of receivers look good, and now adding in Waddle. I, I think what's interesting is, as you've seen offenses go more pro-style with their spread, the way they approach the spread, I think it's placed more value on the outside receiver than it has. The slot receiver, obviously, is still extremely important, but especially when, in Ohio State offense, when that slot receiver was an H-back hybrid, it probably would have switched. We probably wouldn't have seen, you know, if they were running that style of offense, Devontae Smith probably would have struggled because more of the emphasis is on the slot receiver because all the ways you can use him outside of just the passing game. But when it's just vertical threat after vertical threat after vertical threat, you don't have that outside guy. I I think that's part of the reason Garrett struggled. But yeah, I agree with you, Nathan. I think the difference now is both of these teams have stout offensive lines. Let's just be honest. There's five stars all over their offensive lines. The difference was, you know, what happened when that running back got through the offensive line and got to the second level. And that wasn't there for Ohio State. Now that it is, it makes for an interesting game. It makes for a high-scoring game as well. I, 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 I think this is going to be another shootout because of it. 
on the other side of the Alabama receiver equation is what Ohio State's going to try to answer with as far as its secondary. And I, Sean Wade was the last guy to do interviews today. And we've been talking about like the concept of like bulletin board material this week. And he started off like note perfect. Like somebody first question was about Patrick Sertain and like, Hey, when you're going up against another, like really highly touted cornerback, doesn't that make you want to raise your game? He's like, no, not really. I don't really think about that. Like, I just want to win the game. And then like at the end, he gets asked a question about Devonte Smith and like, is that all, all, all I care about is I want to win the game. All, all I care about, I just, even if we just win by one point, all I care about. And then in the middle, it was a question that I don't even remember it was about a specific person, but he starts asking about the matchup or something like that. He goes, well, you all already know who I want to go up against and just, <laughs> just leaves it there like that. And then somebody has to follow up like, so you mean Devontae Smith who just won the Heisman Trophy? He's like, yeah. So I, <laughs> so now it's, it's on record. Like Sean Wade wants that matchup. And I, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, I assume that'll probably get back to Devontae Smith. Yeah, but I think I, I think that's that was I think that's gonna be made bigger of a deal than it actually was. That's something when you read it on Twitter, you think he was attacking Devontae Smith when I cause I didn't see here it live either because I had a phone call for any of you that textures now know about if you want to you know sign up for the text if you want to know who I was talking to for a story later this week. But I, I, if I remember correctly when I went back and listened to it, it was very clear that they were try- like I think it's Dennis Dowd who asked the question trying to get him to talk about his matchup with Devontae Smith. And it was less of like a, yeah, I really want Devontae Smith and more of a, who do you think I want to go up against the fourth stringer? No, obviously everybody wants to see me go up against the guy who just won the Heisman. I I do too, obviously. So I I think when you just put it on Twitter, it probably comes off as him talking trash and the Randy Wade is coming out of him, but it was a lot more of a Sean Wade answer. Yeah. That's important context. And and go ahead, Doug. Well, that's typical. That's typically how bulletin board stuff happens. That somebody yeah. gets led into something, yeah. says something fairly innocuous, and it gets blown up bigger than it is. That's the kind of bulletin board mumbo jumbo that I hate. That it's like, whoa, it's like, well, what's he? I mean, again, what's he supposed to say? Oh, I hope I don't have to cover the Heisman guy. He's really <laughs> yeah. good. I hope they put seven on him the whole time. Um, but also, I just think we have to make sure. I think we 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 have to make sure it's not it's not a personal matchup, and they're going to play a bunch of different looks. They're going to play. Yeah a bunch of cover three looks and they're going to have help. And yes, then when the ball's in the air, Sean Wade sometimes is going to be around Devonte Smith and be the guy who's trying to defend the ball. You know, that's going to happen, but it's, it's not like it's gonna be a personal grudge match between those two guys, but this is how it works with, with that bulletin board malarkey. Yeah. Although on the other side of it, I think, I think Devonte Smith was maybe asked the same question. Like, are you looking forward to going up against Sean Wade? And I don't know that he sees it the same way, but Sean Wade also didn't just win the Heisman trophy. So that that's yeah. that is part of this. Like, and I think that um, if you're Ohio State and if you're Sean Wade, I think you you like having a cornerback who wants that matchup. But I think as we've talked all along, um, the secondary was maybe going to be the thing that ultimately decided whether this team won a national championship. Maybe that was more me. I was the one saying that all along. And now they're in this position where they're going up against. There is no team in the country that would potentially challenge this secondary more. I feel like that is the, a final big test for whether or not this group actually did make the developments over the course of the season that it appears they might have made, but then we still keep having these lingering questions like, but like when you get on the field with this team, is it going to happen? You get on the field with this team, is it going to happen? Maybe it's slightly unfair, but the challenges do keep increasing every time they go out there, it seems like. I mean, this is one of those where you would love to have the 2016 Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, Denzel Ward, Malik Hooker secondary for this group. Or you would love to have last, last, year? last year's <laughs> yeah. 
Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Sean Wade in the slot, Jordan Filler, Fuller secondary for this group. And and those guys got tested. I mean, you know, they both those both those secondaries went up against Clemson and, you know, 31 nothing. Those guys didn't do so great in 2016 against Sean Watson. But as everybody knows, this this secondary is not at that level. And but I mean, what but what secondary can can cover this group? I mean, this is this is a remarkable collection of receiver talent. And I mean, if, if you're relying on this secondary to stop Ohio, Alabama's receiver to win the game, you're not going to win it. Ohio state has to win this game some other way. It might be by getting enough of a pass rush, but I think people think Mac Jones is going to get the ball out of his hands and they'll hit guys on the move. And it's not like he's going to be taking a seven step drop and holding the ball for three seconds and throwing 70 yard bombs all night. So you know, the pass rush isn't going to negate it either, but they're going to have to just have a good plan, get a couple key plays here and there, get a couple third down stops, maybe get a turnover and then outscore them. So, I mean, a lot of this is like, it's fun to talk about, but it's like, well, I mean, I mean, they're going to, there's any, there's not going to be anybody in the country who doesn't think Alabama is going to get what they're going to get in the passing game. Right. That that's yeah. a given. And then Ohio state's going to have to win anyway. I yeah. think what it is, it's just simple as Ohio State can give up 400 passing yards and still win this game because, I mean, that's what they did against Clemson. Trevor Lawrence I, actually had a pretty solid day. But if they, they stop if, if they, if they Najee Harris, I think that's the more important step, step we're taking because you're not going to stop Devontae Smith. If you stop the running game the same way you did as Clemson and make it a one-dimensional thing where this is all – it goes from, oh, and we have this to, oh, we only have this, then I think you have a better shot of winning that game. They can give up 400 passing yards on 48 attempts while stopping the run and maybe win the game. They can't give up yeah. 400 passing yards on like 25 attempts and also mm-hmm. let Najee Harris get loose and win this game. They can't. I, I don't think. I, I mean, if they do, it's going to be a, a crazy high scoring game that they're going to have to get into. 57. Yeah, Doug, you mentioned like, and to say that this is the third best secondary of those three you were talking about, 2016, 2019, 2020, that's not really a criticism of this secondary because those other two were just so loaded with talent. But is this also the third best Ohio State defensive line of that group? And is this the best offense that any of those three teams would have played? Uh, I mean, the, the, 2000, the 2016 Deshaun Watson offense. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty pretty legit. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's very, very high level, but yeah, that's the other thing too. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what, that's what, I mean, people, you know, there's different people, ESPN.com and the athletic are doing the thing where they're Pete Thamel usually does it at Yahoo. They interview a bunch of anonymous coaches and they talk about stuff and it always, I enjoy those pieces and the national guys, they have relationships where they can talk to, 12 national anonymous coaches and get that stuff. But most of the time they say the same stuff everybody says. And so it's like, I was reading one of them and it was like, Oh, they don't have a guy like Chase Young. It's like, yeah, they don't have a, they don't have a guy like Chase Young. So, so that's a big thing. Now, Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith played really well and really got after Trevor Lawrence. Um, And we talked about that. We're not going to talk about rumors, but I mean, you know, there, there are names out there on the defensive line that maybe won't be available here. I think that could be a thing where, um, if Ohio State's defensive line isn't at full strength, I again, I don't know that Mac Jones is going to be sitting back there and holding it, but that really, I do think, could be something that is very bad timing for Ohio State. That that group that we've talked all year, do they, they get pressure, but does it matter against Michael Penix? It didn't against Trevor Lawrence. It did. They did get after Trevor Lawrence and affect that game. And man, if they don't have their dudes to get after Mac Jones, and again, even if you don't get to him, but affect it in some way, that's going to be rough because to your point, Nathan, yeah, they're both in the secondary and on the defensive line. And we've said it all year. They're just kind of a half step short of where Ohio state often is at both those position groups. 
Yeah, we did not get into depth on who might be missing today. I mean, they're not going to answer those sorts of questions. We, I thought we danced around it with to get some interesting perspective on that. Um, but you're right that if – I mean, we already – Zach Harrison was already missing for the Sugar Bowl. We thought that was maybe going to be a significant absence that day. It turned out not to be necessarily, although I'm sure they would have loved to have him. But if he also can't play and then you start taking other guys off of that defensive line, especially key guys, then you, you see how tough it becomes for Ohio State to, to really be able to, to mount that kind of pressure. And um, I don't know if it's at this point we should give anybody an update, but there really is no update, right? I mean, nothing happened today. Ohio State practiced today. The I was told no – change in, in status of anything today. I was also told their last day to test is either Friday or Saturday. They weren't sure yet, but it, it's not like it goes all the way up to Monday morning or even Sunday. So we'll have, a, I think, a resolution as to who can play for Ohio State at, by Friday or Saturday at the latest. Yeah, and it, you know, it matters, but they have depth at all their positions, right? I mean, they, they've got guys that are the next crop who are just, you know, young guys who are going to have to step up and do it. It's just this is a bad time for this defense uh, to not be at full strength. And there are already a lot of young guys who are probably having roles that they would not have had, whether it's in the secondary. I mean, no, no, or even on defensive line, Noah Potter was getting, you know, meaningful snaps in the big 10 championship game after we hadn't seen him all year. You know, Lathan Ransom has a role now and in week one, one through three, he didn't really touch the field. And now all of a sudden he's basically in a starting role in that bullet position. It's really gone from, you know, as, you know, it, it's one thing for guys to develop in the roles because they had a 12-game season and have just shown themselves the way Chris Olave did. This is They don't have a choice. They have to play these guys. We're going to take a break right there. We're going to come back with another topic that sort of affects the defensive line here on Buckeye Talk. Well, we're back on Buckeye Talk. The other player that drew a lot of attention today, um, I was asking a lot of questions about him, but so were some other writers, was Najah Harris, running back for Alabama. He's the third highest vote getter in this offense finished fifth overall in the Heisman trophy voting. And I, my uh, angle on this was just to ask the Ohio state players, you know, you just did a good job last week, bottling up Travis Etienne. He really wasn't a running threat in the game. Kind of the same as he was the year before. They also contained him uh, as a receiver. Now Etienne did get banged up a little bit and left the game for a point too. But for the most part, I mean, he, he was on the field and, and contained. He wasn't a guy that, that really hurt Ohio State. So how does that performance help this defense? Does it help this defense going into this matchup? Is there a comparison? And the answer more or less was that they're not uh, identical backs, but there is enough similarity there that one performance does help. If they can do the same thing that they did against Etienne, if they're successful in the same way, they should be successful against Harris, they think. I think the, the biggest takeaway was that maybe Harris is – um, even a more powerful back. You know, Etienne is almost known now for being a, a receiver first, um, really speedy guy. I wouldn't say finesse because I think he's pretty tough too, but but not a, a power runner the way that Harris is. But Harris can do all the other things too. He had 30-some catches for 300-some yards. He had a three-touchdown game in the SEC championship as a receiver. So a, a guy that can get it done in a multifaceted ways too. I think this is going to be, uh, you know, as much as we've talked all season long about – how the, the, the interior of this defensive line has been kind of a wall, and then those linebackers are just everywhere all the time. Again, just as it was for the secondary, this is kind of the ultimate test for them coming up on Monday. I do think the difference that has to be noted is I think Alabama's offensive line is somewhat significantly Absolutely. better than Clemson's mm -hmm. offensive line. Yeah. Um, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle is an Outland Trophy finalist. Alabama's all-SEC center is out. 
he got hurt yeah. uh, in the SEC championship game and he's out for the playoffs, Landon Dickerson. So that's a blow for them. But that's part of it. I mean, I think we thought that coming in with Travis ATN is that, well, they, they probably can't run him inside very much because they don't have the belief in their offensive line. I think Alabama has that belief in its offensive line. And um, maybe I was wrong. I just did think ETN is more out in space, mm-hmm. turbo, make you miss a little bit. And Najee Harris has that, but I think he'll also run through your tackles too. So, um, yeah. I mean, there are people, there are people who voted Najee Harris first on their Heisman ballot. I mean, like this guy is, this guy is not Derrick Henry, but this guy is like, because nobody's Derrick Henry, nobody is is as a tall as that, and it, 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 with shoulders like that, and and legs like that, and that big, and that fast, and that unbelievable. Nobody's Derrick Henry, but um, this guy's different. And to me, I as a defense would be more worried about this combo with Harris and this offensive line in the run game than ETN and that Clemson offensive line when you pair them up like that. Can you take me back to 2014? Because I was looking at the box where they Henry ran the ball like 13 times in that game. Now they did oh, have, they were giving the ball to go ahead. I would say they were giving the ball to TJ Yeldon too. who's another NFL yeah. running back. And they also had Amari Cooper and they also had some other weapons. I'm just, I was just a little bit, surprised about that but I, just, I wanted to get your perspective on it because you're just opening it up for lane kiffin slander so <laughs> tj yeldon was sort of like the first back for them that year henry was kind of like the number two guy and then obviously took over and won the heisman the following year but that is like a lasting image from that game of like ohio state never stopped Derrick henry and for some unknown reason lane kiffin just kind of stopped giving him the ball and people think that turned that game and that remains in the minds of Ohio state fans. And I do think, you know, Lane Kiffin was, you know, Lane Kiffin did a good job as an offensive coordinator at Alabama. But um, I think Steve Sarkeesian, people just think has, has perfectly orchestrated this Alabama offense this year. And so I I don't think he's going to like, not if Najee Harris is getting it done, I don't think he's going to like forget to give it to Najee Harris, but that was a big thing. So why I said, Oh, cause it's like, you can go down that rabbit hole of, why Derrick Henry didn't get it, get it more is one of the lasting lasting mysteries from that game. Stephen, I want to get kind of your impressions on him from having watched Alabama a lot this year. But one of the things that jumped out to me from interviews today was um, I can't remember who was asked. It might have been Najah Harris himself who was asked um, kind of about their defensive philosophy. And he said, well, our first priority is balance. And then we just find your weakness and we attack that. And I thought that was like, like what offensive, what coach in the world wouldn't want his players to have kind of like locked in on that as the philosophy. And they obviously do it better than anybody else right now. Yeah. That's a pretty spot on comparison. I mean, if Najee Harris is having a day, then like he did against Mississippi, oh, oh, like he did against Ole Miss, well, then you're going to get the ball 23 times. You're going to have 206 yards. But if Jalen Waddle's having a day, he's going to have 150 receiving yards. If Devonta Smith is having a big day, he's going to have 200 receiving yards. It's, it is more – I do think – to compare it to Ohio State's defense a little bit, how maybe that first quarter is feeling it out and they might end up giving up some stuff because they're still filling, it out, filling things out. And then by the second and third quarter, they start to get into a rhythm. Alabama's offense seems to work that way where it might – they're not – I don't know if they, how many quarters they had it off the top of my head where they had like 21 points in it, but I'm pretty sure the second and third quarter is where they started winning football games. The, the thing 
to think about here is I just, it, it, again, you're not going to stop it. It's just a matter of, it's, it's, it might come down to like three plays on defense. Like you can't yeah. miss the tackle. If you get pressure on Mac Jones, you got to sack him. You can't let him get out of it and throw it. If you, if they call like a weird play and they call a little swing pass to Najee Harris, that they think it's going to pop and they miss a block. You've got to bring him down. You can't let him break a tackle and turn a two yard loss into an 11 yard gain. And just like that kind of thing. And if, if you get some, pre- if Mac Jones sails a pass to Devontae Smith and it hits Josh Proctor or uh, Ronnie Hickman or Marcus Williamson or Sean Wade or Seven Banks in the hands, they got to intercept it. You can't yeah. drop it. Like you can't, no offense is perfect, but you're not going to stop them. But sometimes, you know, they call a couple goofy plays and it's third and seven. And now, like, you can't have like what happened. I mean, again, go back. We talked about the Clemson game. Clemson's trying to come back. They fought Ohio state's been dicing them. They finally have, they get a weird thing on the kickoff. They stop Ohio state twice on first and second down. It's third and 10 and they give up a check down to Trey sermon for a first down. Like that is the exact kind of thing that Ohio state can't do because you can't, you can't lose two good defensive plays because you miss a tackle on third down. So you know, that's it's just Pete Warner. When your time is there, man, you got to bring Najee Harris down. Jonathan Cooper, when you're when you're there at Mac Jones's, you know, knees, you've got to bring him down. You and it's that's what it's going to come down to three or four plays like that. Yeah, no, I mean, razor thin think- margin for error in these games. And and last year's Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State was on the wrong side of that margin by by their fault or by unfortunate circumstance, they were on the wrong side of it. This year's Sugar Bowl, Clemson was on the wrong side of it, and Ohio State kept taking advantage. Go ahead, Steve. And on offense, if Alabama punts, Ohio State needs to score a touchdown. Uh, that it's just that they they have to. It can't be we got to stop and then we punt it. And then we punt it after we wasted some clock or we settle for a field goal. If Alabama punts, you have to score a touchdown because that's what they started doing to Clemson. Clemson punted, they scored a touchdown, and after a while, it built on itself. Same thing has to apply here because when you're playing a team who can score the way you can, you have to be able to find an advantage somewhere. So if you if you get a three and out, touchdown's got to come, period. Another takeaway from today was we asked in just every possible way, and not just us, but, you know, everybody was on those calls or asking in every way, what asking Ohio State players, what do you do to stop this team? What do you do to slow them down? How do you win this matchup? And it all kept coming back to um, we've just got to be disciplined. We've got to make sure our, 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 our fits are there, and we've got to um, – the things you're talking about, Doug, I mean, it's just, it's about, you know, discipline and, and, and being tight as a defense and, and not missing tackles, things like that. Like, do you ultimately think that that's what decides this game or is there something schematically that Ohio state can do that is, is more of an interruption? I, cause I tend to think that you're, Ohio state is what it is at this point, even defensively, there can be some wrinkles to throw in, but it's more just about being a sound defense and, and, and playing almost error free. I mean, I do think Clemson's, although they had a very skilled quarterback and a very skilled running back, Clemson had enough other spots where you, where Ohio state could attack them, right. Where they could get some pressure on Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they could throw some looks on the back end and, and Clemson didn't have nearly the type of receivers that Alabama has And Ohio state. I thought had a great scheme, but also rallied to the ball and, and made those tackles a vast majority of the time. I think to your point, I don't know that there's any magic to this schematically. I think it is rally to the ball, make tackles. And it's not even like, don't give up big plays. You're going to give up big plays, but it's like, don't give up. And I don't mean this. I thought the Ohio state defense played very well against Clemson. Don't give up stupid big plays. 
you know, if Devontae Smith like gets behind the secondary and catches a 61 yard touchdown, it's like, okay, he won the Heisman. If Najee Harris like gets through a hole and is gone and runs 38, it's like, okay, that guy is crazy good. But don't give up the ones where you know, all the stuff I said before, where you should have stopped him and you didn't, where you make a good play and it turns into a bad play for you. Cause they're going to, you're going to make enough. There's going to be enough times where you do look bad straight up. So don't let them get yards when you do something right. But I, to the point of like, again, stop them schematically. No, I, I like, I don't, I don't think that's there unless that, cause only that's only like if they dial it back cause they have a lead. You know, kind of like against like Notre Dame, right? They only scored 31, but but they didn't need to. I mean, the rest of the year, 38, 52, 63, 41, 48, 41, 63, 42, 55, 52, 52. I mean, my God, they didn't they didn't score. They haven't scored in the 30s. They scored in the 30s in their last game because they didn't need to. And in their opener, they've scored at least 40 in every other game. So like, no, you're not going to stop them. They scored the way you guys thought Ohio State was going to score back when we were picking Ohio State's average points per game before the season. I looked at that today. Do you know who leads the nation in in points per game? Because Alabama is second. Who'd you say, Stephen? It was Kent State for a while. Don't don't back in with that. Bring that. Kent State. State. Own it. Own it. It's Kent State. Kent State won Alabama two. Which is so crazy because when I was in college, they didn't score anywhere. Like they were, it was hard to get 17 points out of Kent State. So basically, what you're saying is don't give up like a 74 yard touchdown to the quarterback on a keeper, the kind of things that Ohio State w- was doing last year against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. That is, yeah. Yeah. That needs, that needed to be a, if anything, that's seven or eight yards and they're just on schedule. Yeah. Cause there are times when you can tell, and I, this is not exactly right because a lot of times, the point is you call a good play and you don't know whether it's going to go for seven or it's going to go for 70. Right. But like when Ohio state goes play action, and I know Steven, you've been talking a lot about the play action with Ohio state, when they set that up and they go play action and they run Chris Olave deep, they know they're taking their shot. Right. Mm-hmm. So Alabama's going to take some shots. Ohio state takes some shots. If they set you up and hit their shot, because both these teams have like, Heisman worthy quarterbacks throw into unbelievable receivers. These teams giving up those shots, that's not going to determine the game because they're both going to do it. But, but don't give up like an 11 yard slant where the linebackers running behind somebody misses the tackle. The safety comes up arm tackle doesn't make it. And now you're gone. And now what, what Alabama thought was an 11 yard slant is a 70 yard touchdown. If you give up the 70-yard touchdown that's trying to be a 70-yard touchdown, shrug your shoulders and get them back next time. But that's – tackling is – I mean, it's like tackling all the time. But, they again, they tackled – I didn't know about the tackling. I'm not sure we all knew for sure about the tackling going into Clemson. I thought they tackled not perfectly early, but when they started forcing those punts, Justin Hilliard and Pete Werner and those guys like that, they weren't letting them loose, and that's what's got to be there. And that's part of it, too, is you're right. And against Northwestern, it was like this, too. It took a quarter for that defense to kind of settle in and start you know, getting some clean tackles. I don't know if they can afford to do that this game. Steven, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot because, again, you've watched Alabama, I think, more than either of us has over the course of the season. If you had to guess, let's say, let's say Waddle plays in some capacity. So which, which player on this offense – has which of those skill guys taking Jones out of it? Cause that's mm-hmm. a different way of measuring of those other skill guys who hurts Ohio state the most, you think if you're predicting. 
if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year, I'd have said Waddle, uh, just because he's in the slot and you can do more with him. But because he hasn't played and you're not really sure what percentage he is, you have to go with Devontae. Um, just because I, I do think that – I don't know. I don't think Najee Harris is going to have a 150-yard day. I, and I think he, if he does, he probably carries the ball 30-plus times in order to do it. I think they'll be able to handle that. I think it's the it's – the, Devontae Smith, when they throw a swing pass out to him and he makes a guy miss, and all of a sudden, to what Doug's talking about, something that was supposed to be maybe an 11-yard game to keep a game to keep a driver alive is now a touchdown. And how do you answer that if you're Ohio State? So I think just given the circumstances of with Jalen Waddle, you don't really know how healthy he is. It has to be the Heisman winner. Both, according to 11 Warriors, both um, Proctor and Marcus Williamson, who was essentially playing uh, safety for most of that game against Clemson, played almost the whole game. They both played 70-some snaps, I think, in the, in the Sugar Bowl. I, are we assuming? I, I didn't ask Kerry Combs this today. I wasted my question on a question about Lathan Ransom. I wish I, in retrospect, I maybe should have asked him something more schematic, although I don't know how much he would give away. But should we assume that they're going to probably keep that, that two-safety look against a team that has this kind of weapons? Yep. Yeah, I, I think we've seen that. Yeah, Josh Proctor's going to be back there. Mark Spillman is going to be out. Yeah, I mean, it is it is fascinating. I think we finally sort of maybe realize this. It's like single high safety for the Big Ten, where there's no quarterbacks mm-hmm. and receivers that can kill you. Stop the run first, and don't worry about the pass. And then when you get to the playoff and you're playing, you know, first round quarterbacks and first round receivers, then you got to try to not get killed deep all the time, and so you play two deep safeties. I and think I thought, that's where Indiana helped them out the most, though, is the fact that they did have a more explosive passing offense. And so Ohio State's not running into a situation where it did last year where the second safety didn't see the field until literally the, the Fiesta Bowl. They got an opportunity to work that out in a game in the Big Ten, and now they, they got some experience this time. So it might limit the, the Trevor Lawrence 67-yard touchdown run. I was asking uh, Marcus Williamson. I plan to ask him – already about this and then also in the course of our interviews today announced that he is coming back next season which is something we can talk about maybe in a minute but I asked him like about that high safety role that that second safety role I guess would you call that strong safety I guess in this defense and he said that he had actually practiced there a lot and it was something he got to do which I don't know if you had asked Josh Proctor that same question after last year's Fiesta Bowl if you would have answered it quite the same way he, he Williamson today talked like it's something he's done throughout the season we just haven't seen him do it in games that much because they've needed him at slot corner. They configured things differently, but I definitely got the impression today that that was something that he knew all along was in the back pocket. Whereas seemed seemed like last year, the Proctor thing was something more that they schemed up going into the Fiesta Bowl. And that seems more pandemic related than it does scheme though. It's, they've been talking we've been kind of trying people at all different spots just in case and all of a sudden you lose josh proctor for a week and then all of a sudden you lose malik hooker and ronnie hickman because of actual injuries and now guys are getting thrown all over the place so i do think that plays a role i don't know if if this had been a normal year marcus williamson would have been playing any safety well that's a good point but they have used two safeties more i mean i don't i just don't know if he would have been the second safety i'm not saying they wouldn't have done it his point was that they, as a room, they take pride everybody knowing everything, yeah. which I, everybody kind of says that about their position group usually. But that that it was something that I, I think he's maybe not the only person who could have answered that question that way. Yeah. But they also kind of, I think they figured out they don't know that they can have Marcus Hooker on the field. So yeah. then you got to do something else. So if Marcus Hooker had played well all year and it's like, okay, well, then Proctor and Hooker are deep. But, right. but it's hard. I mean, listen, this, 
it's a lot of just like terminology. Again, back in the old days, it's like the slot corner was a safety, mm-hmm. right? It's just a safety who came down. So then sometimes you were down, but if there wasn't a slot receiver on the field, then you were back. And so it's like, okay, well, can you play slot corner while you were safety? I mean, there's people talking about now I hear people talk about the NFL and Sean Wade. It's like, oh, he's going to be a safety. It's like, well, maybe he'll be a safety because he'll be covering guys in the slot, which is like a say, you know, so we yeah. call it now with Ohio state slot corner because every team plays a slot and, and it's, they are not putting guys who are safeties in that role, because I don't, sometimes you think safety is like, can that safety cover man to man like that? But the idea that a guy who is a slot corner can play safety, it's like, well, that makes a little more sense. I like you can move a corner back to some safety responsibilities as opposed to like, hey, we're now bringing a safety down to cover man to man on a slot all the time. So um, it's not shocking to me that Marcus Williamson wound up back there. I understand the idea of flexibility and that kind of stuff, but people like to talk about flexibility, I think, most of the time when they don't have enough good guys to do the exact same things they need. Because most of the time in football, you don't move guys around unless it's Isaiah Simmons, just because you want to. Usually you move guys around because you have to. So if they had like two safeties that they absolutely believed in, then that would be the answer, but they don't. So it was like, hey, Marcus, you're doing a lot up there, but come back here too. Well, let's, let's address this real quick before we take another break and move on to other topics. But Williamson announcing he's coming back. He's a guy that has not been all that consistent this year. Um, I think he's played better of late. I thought he played well in the Sugar Bowl or played certainly well enough to help them win. And there was some immediate reaction from texters like, well, what's the point? Like, does he really think he's an NFL draft pick, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, it, it's funny, the same people who were kind of saying some of those things might have been the same people asking me a couple of weeks ago, like, hey, do you think Trey Sermon's going to come back for another year because he started playing well? And I'm like, well, no, that actually means he should leave. Like, he's playing himself into money. Whereas someone like Marcus Williamson has never had a role before this year. I mean, he's been a special teams guy, but he's never had a role in this defense as a uh, playing on a first string defense, playing a big 10 defense. He just hasn't, he's never had it. And he only got it for six games this year. I think it's a positive thing for him to now get to come back, have a full spring, have a full summer and be kind of a, even if he gets beat out for a starting job or whatever, it gives you more depth. It gives you some veteran presence and what will still be a, a fairly young secondary next year. Yeah. What it does is it pencils his name in as a starting slot quarter in, in 2021 for now, unless obviously if Cameron Martinez or somebody else goes in there and beats him out by the time we get to the fall, then that's one thing. But at least for now, of all, you, you have at least two starting corners heading into heading into spring. And the thing about this, this is where like the, the they're not going to use the 85 scholarship limit to apply to guys like this, right. that mm-hmm. what happens a lot of times, sometimes, it's happened at Ohio state in my time here. And it happens at other schools. Sometimes it's like a fifth year guy. It's like a guy who redshirted. It has a fifth year of eligibility. And this was even before like the, the grad transfer kind of days, like doesn't come back. And it's kind of cause like, they don't want him back. It's like, well, you have a year of eligibility, but you don't really play and we don't have a spot for you. So that happens sometimes. Not that I'm saying that would have happened to Marcus Williamson. Cause he has played better in the second half of the year, but they don't have to worry about it. It's like Ohio state's like, great, come back. I mean, try to win the job, as Steven said. He certainly probably is the leader for slot corner, but if he doesn't win it. But a guy like that, I don't think this is about him like trying to up his NFL draft stock. This guy this guy's from the Columbus suburbs, and Nathan, as you said, just now played himself into a role at Ohio State, and he only got half a season of it. Mm-hmm. So he's like, this is cool. I like playing a lot. So <laughs> for him to come back and seize that, and there's no downside for Ohio State – This is, I think, a a really – and this is what I wondered about. You tried to figure out 
well, who it might apply to Jake Hausman or even like tough board, you know, like guys that's like, I'm not sure that they're NFL guys, but you want to play football again, like work on your grad degree, play football again. I think Marcus Williamson is like a really good application of what they did by sort of saying, don't worry about the 85 scholarships next year. I mean, there was a contrast here. Marcus Williamson was asked like why he made that choice. And he said, quote, I still enjoy being a Buckeye man. And then later on, Justin Hilliard was asked, are you really going to not even like think about coming back for a seventh year? And he's playing the best football of his life, by the way, very obviously. And his quote was, it's an incredible journey, but I just don't know how much more I can give to Ohio State as saying why he's probably not coming back. Again, you're talking about a guy and he's been through a lot, too. This is the biggest role he's ever played. And the biggest, and he's, he's he is basically a starter now. I mean, Baron Browning started the last game, but he got beat to the edge by Trevor Lawrence on that opening drive. And Justin Hilliard is in the game from that point. I mean, Browning kept playing too, but like it's a co-starter situation at worst right now. I think at that position, and Hilliard's playing great, but at some point it, 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 it does become a personal decision for these guys to be like, man, do I really have another whole year of my life to spend in college? You want to be in, you want to be in college when you're 25? Yeah, that's what. Well, yeah, it's that's what. I mean, I was, but I, <laughs> I took I did things kind of bass backwards, but um, I mean, but you, but yeah, I didn't or, get there when I was seventeen. Yeah, in your seventh year, right? Like, right? Yeah. I mean, like sometimes guys just like, got, want to go on with their lives. Yeah, there are some guys who don't get in the NFL that long. And maybe he thinks he can make a camp roster. Not now, whether he makes an NFL roster is a different conversation. But, but we and it's it's what we do and it's what we should do. Like we often couch like everything in terms of draft stock. Right. And that usually is at Ohio State. That is a obviously a huge determining factor because every single recruit at Ohio State comes in wanting to go to the NFL and having the potential to go to the NFL. But there's also like just life. And sometimes it's like, I mean, no, like Justin Hilliard, it's like, ah, oh man, I can't. I mean, I'm going to be like, seriously, I'm going to be playing with guys who, when I was a senior in high school, they were in fifth grade and now we're on a college football team together. It's like, I'm not doing that. And by the way, he didn't say, if I try to come back to Roger Mitchell, Kayvon Pope and Dallas Gantt will kidnap me and throw me in the back of a drain and drive yeah. me out into a field because it's their turn. And my turn is over. How many of these guys, not just players, but how many people in this coaching staff were here when Justin Tilliard first got to Ohio state? Ryan Day was Larry, Larry Johnson. Kerry Combs was here, left and came back. Yeah. Kerry yeah, yeah, Combs is at a whole other job and come back. So, so two people, yeah, I mean, there's going to be guys coming into this camp, coming into this team this winter who are either 17 or 18 years old so that Justin Hilliard will have been at Ohio State for over a third of their life. I mean, that's a pretty significant way to look at it. So I, I that didn't surprise me at all to hear him say that, regardless of what's in his football future. Like, best, you know, best wishes to him in his future. And obviously, he's still got one more game. And like I said, he's playing the best football of his life, so maybe he can capitalize on it. We're going to take another break right there. We're going to come back and finish up this episode of Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. Steven, was there anything? Actually, here's the way I want to do this. Doug, you weren't on the calls today, but if you had been on the calls today, what is something you would have asked about that we haven't talked about yet, and we can tell you whether or not we actually did ask about that and can talk about it? I'm glad you brought this up because there is there's one thing that I, I do regret not getting on the call, and some texters have brought it up, and I do feel like at times like it, uh, we don't necessarily say, hey – texters if you have a question send it to us and 
will use your questions and try to ask them. But I also think it's not a bad way to do that sometimes, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we are the voice of the people. And sometimes from fans, you can really get a sense for what's happening in the fan base and what do they really want to know about. And so based on that, there was something that popped up and this would have informed the question that I would have asked today. And that would have been to ask Kerry Combs how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, yeah I felt like I let people down after yeah. I after I texted out things. They were getting back at me saying, like, Nathan, you've got to ask Kerry Combs how to pronounce his name. And at that point, I text usually kind of at the end of, of when a person's done talking or, or parse after I've already asked a question oftentimes. And we only get one. We get one shot. There's there's one bullet the in the problem. gun for this yeah. for this stuff. So we did not get to I will say the person who introduced him, the Brett Daniels, who is the college football playoff spokesperson basically who is running the interviews today called him Kerry Combs. Combs. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's what I'm going to do in the service of the readership and the texters and the podcast listeners. I will, I will try to text Kerry in the next couple of days and um, ask him this hard hitting question and see if I can serve the fans. And also, frankly, it's one of those situations where I think it's good for Kerry to put an end to this, which only is coming up because we've now had two announcers including Kirk Herbstreet, call him Kerry Coombs. So it feels like, I mean, I get it. You know, hey, is Justin Fields going to be healthy enough to play? Is the game going to be postponed? But like, this is what people really want to know. How do you pronounce the defensive coordinator's last name? At nine years after we first meet him at Ohio State. I'm trying to picture Kerry Combs right now, like being in the meeting, being like, so which coverage do we want to play on third and medium against when 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 Harris is or when uh, yeah when Harris is lined up uh, alone in the backfield and and Smith is out wide and Waddles out wide and well what do we want to do there and Kerry Combs like not now I got to text Doug back about how to pronounce my name it's carry carry <laughs> not curry it's carry um, <laughs> uh, so so this is from what you're talking about today so this was Ohio State defense and Correct. Alabama offense correct and and this is the kind of thing that is impossible to, to answer and and i don't know if steve Gar steve Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. Why we Sarkeesian. Having, now we're having a lot of problems with names. Let's call him Sark. They call him Sark. Call him Sark, mm -hmm. not Cirque. I, I, I don't. I'm I curious. In like, that's a good question. In trying to put this out, <laughs> text Kerry Combs and ask how to pronounce Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> off-season story. How do you pronounce the name of offensive and defensive coordinator? You know, you know what? what? That's that's a great SEO play. <laughs> we'll just have a pronunciation guide for every. Yeah. Because I bet right now, go try to search. How do you pronounce Kerry Combs' name? I bet it's not out there. Seriously, like all 130, both yep. head coach, both, both coordinators, all that's 390 people, how to pronounce their first and last names on Cleveland.com. You'll get a raise out of that. You should um, be able to like do a little click on a little like music note or whatever, it. and it'll yeah. play it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> We're I'll, doing I'll, it now. I'll spend my <laughs> offseason recording it. Tony Alford. It'll be like an answering machine. Yeah. Show the pronunciation is in parentheses. <laughs> oh, Palini. Um, <laughs> and then just do them, just do them like totally jacked. Josh Gatisse. <laughs> just, just do all wrong pronunciations, right? <laughs> Kevin Wilson. <laughs> so um, I'm curious. I'm trying to put, I'm like trying to put this Alabama offense in context. And so I like the idea of like asking Sarkeesian, who has not been at Alabama forever, but was around USC when they were great, like just trying to get some handle on 
listen, your your best receiver won the your your second best receiver won the Heisman. Your other receiver is a first round pick. Your running back is arguably the best running back in the country, and your quarterback finished third in the Heisman. Like trying to get some context of just how rare this this Alabama offense is. And now the difficult thing is, well, they just had a, an unbelievable offense, just won the national title last year with LSU. So I don't like, would, was there anything with Sark and the players? It's not fair. Players are bad at that. But with Sark of like trying to put that in context or with or with Kerry of trying to put Alabama's offense in context versus other offenses that he has gone against in his college career? I think so, Sarkeesian's was more of when you have this many weapons, how do you figure out how to get guys the ball and how much each guy deserves the ball, which is to what we were talking about earlier with like maybe finding some balance and attacking what's working in that game. I think that's been this – I don't even know if you call it a struggle, but that's been the formula for them all season is figuring out, okay, we've got an awesome wide receiver. And we got another awesome wide receiver. Then you've got an awesome running back. Who deserves the ball more – against Tennessee versus who deserves the ball more against Auburn is maybe more of what he has to deal with than it's being in all the talent, I guess. And we yeah, learned I, that I, lesson in 2015. And yeah. and I that has affected uh, – before 2015 Ohio State, I would have been like, oh, no, too much talent. What are you going to do? But they did not do a good job of figuring out how to use Michael Thomas and Jalen Marshall and Braxton Miller and Curtis Samuel and Ezekiel Elliott and Nick Vanette and like all those guys. And it was like literally too much. And they wound up trying to count touches and they wound up trying to like keep everybody happy and be fair more than run an offense. And it absolutely held them back for at least a portion of the season from being everything they could be. So, you know, that Ohio State offense, I mean, again, if Mike, if Mike, oh, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris are really good. Have you met Michael Thomas and Ezekiel Elliott? That Ohio State offense was not scoring 40 points a game. And there's no reason they shouldn't have. They didn't drop 45 on everybody. And it's because now they had quarterback issues, but they also had trouble with that balance. So, if Sarkeesian and this Alabama offense has figured that out, that's a credit to them because it certainly is a thing. And that's a and world think, that – go ahead, David. I will say I think from, from – I'm glad you had kind of a good read on the Sark side of it because I think I was posting something while he was talking yeah. partially. But the uh, – Kerry Combs, his kind of take on it – and Kerry Combs has been around a while and has seen those great offenses you're talking about before that Ohio State matched up against. He's been in the NFL the last two years. So he's seen talent. But the thing that was kind of jumping out to him was um, here, I'll just read the quote. They've got great players, but it's also a great scheme. They understand how to attack defenses. People have tried numerous different things against them and they always have an answer. So it's, it wasn't just that. Okay. Yeah. They've got five all Americans and the, and the Heisman trophy winner and a guy who finished third, they've got pure talent out there, but it's that they know how to attack you with it. That's I think the thing that is probably going to keep Kerry Combs from returning your text message later this week, Doug. And, and that's the thing. That's what the 2015 Ohio State team didn't have because they had lost Tom Herman and Tim Beck and Ed Warner were not capable of utilizing all those pieces in the way that Sark clearly has been capable of that for Alabama. And with the way Ohio State's recruiting, especially offensively in that wide receiver room, it's a problem that they're going to run into again coming up here real soon when you've got two guys, who, three guys who are the number one receiver in their class and then a bunch of other five stars around them. And you have the number one running back and another top 100 running back. And so, you know, they're going to find themselves in a situation again. I, I, now I think Ryan Day is probably be more 
equipped to handle it because he's a, just a better offensive mind than what Tim Beck was, obviously. But it's a still, that's an issue that is kind of a balance that you have to figure out. I feel like I'm writing a lot of stories about Ohio State seeing themselves in Alabama, but, you know. Well, I mean, they're not going to see themselves in yeah. Purdue or Minnesota or Indiana or Penn State or Michigan or anybody else they play. This is, this is the only time that Ohio State gets to look in a mirror at all. Yeah. And, and sometimes the mirror is a little cracked on this level and they're not quite that. But, but what you're talking about, Stephen, with the way they're recruiting a lot of what Clemson and Alabama do, are doing right now is that is, that is their future. That is who they can be. Um, the, the other thing that I think is, and I don't know how it would, would come up necessarily, and I don't know how I necessarily would have asked about it, is the idea that if Trey Sermon had not exploded in the last two games, I think this matchup would feel very different because it's like, well, Alabama's got the pass on the run and Ohio state's got the pass. And, and as you said, Nathan, they were running the ball. Master Teague had some good games, but not like scary explosive, but Trey Sermon is now like scary, scary explosive. And I feel like it does that like evens the playing field offensively. And if it is a shootout, I think, I think both these teams can beat you both ways. And if Trey Sermon had not done this, I feel like, we'd be viewing this through a different lens at this point. Actually, that's a great segue, and we can kind of maybe wrap up on this. But, Stephen, you talked to – you have talked this week to some people around Trey Sermon to kind of take things – we've been talking to him the last few weeks about where, well, how did, where did this come from? And he's given a lot of answers about, well, I just got more in sync with the offensive line and I just ran harder and uh, some, some various things like that. But I thought you got some good intel. You shared it with our texters today, 614 614- 350-3315. You get all of this stuff first as it's happening, as we're hearing about it. Sometimes we literally get off the phone with somebody and we text you guys. I had a really great uh, conversation night with uh, some people around Thayer Munford for uh, an article I'm going to write. Uh, it was a little too late to text it out, but Stephen was doing that today, like right as he got off the phone. So just kind of what is what were you hearing about maybe where the light bulb went off or who helped turn it on for him this week, this year? Yeah, I talked with Richard Whitfield. His, his name is the Footwork King on Twitter. He actually works with a lot of elite NFL players. OBJ is working with him right now. Darius Slay has worked with him. Uh, Texas A&M's running back has worked with him. And my, my understanding off of that was, one, this was a guy who just needed a fire lit under him. But more importantly, there's a mental aspect to when you have a injury like an ACL that takes you out for a while because the minute you do it, the minute you pop your ACL, you know that you're going to be sitting down for a while. And there's maybe a, you know, some morality issues after that. And I think it took longer for him mentally to get back to a certain level than it did for him to physically. And it started back when they were working in the spring and he was being timid a little bit, how he was early in the season, dancing through holes and not really going through drills the way he should have been going through them because he was still worried about his knee. And eventually once that wore off and he started to get some confidence and basically got chewed out by Whitfield, he started running better in those drills. And it's kind of showed itself the same way with the season where once again, started off slow and you're tiptoeing around the line of scrimmage and dancing through holes and not really running the way you should. But I think a combination of one getting chewed out by a trainer again, but also master T going down. I noticed one thing I've noticed once again, this year is, Master Teague's best game is when Trey Sermon wasn't a part of the offense. And Trey Sermon's best games now, Master Teague hasn't even been on the field because he's in concussion protocol. And so I think Ohio State's going to keep trying to do this two-back system thing, and it still hasn't worked. Because what we've seen is a guy goes from making barely get five yards per carry to all of a sudden they're breaking records, i.e. J.K. Dobbins. What a shock. The two, oh, the two-back system didn't work? Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Crazy. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to work out, but – well, I but I, I, I don't know that they – I think they went into the season, neither one of those guys had proven themselves. 
They gave them both a chance to prove themselves. Trey Sermon did not prove himself. Master Teague was running better, was running harder, was the better running back for a portion of this season. So Most it's easy it. to kind of, yeah. So it's easy to look back in retrospect and because uh, I think Trey Sermon would also probably agree with that to some extent. That doesn't mean that now this opportunity hasn't allowed him to, to break open, but he had equal opportunity to start the year and he wasn't getting the same traction that Master T did. Well, I want to fight for Trey Sermon, but I, I do think that Master T got that game against Penn State. I don't know if Trey Sermon would have had an opportunity to get what, Trey, what Master T got in that game to just be the back had Master T not been dealing with some injuries. Because he really wasn't at that point. Even the, the, the Michigan State game, he just had a big run. Everything else wasn't that great. I, I do think, but we've seen this now with Ohio State in 2015 – they played two, two backs because they thought they had – no, not 2015. 2018. 2018, they played two backs because they thought they had two good guys. And in 2020, they played two backs because they had two guys they were uncertain about. And neither of them really worked until one guy was sort of able to be the guy. And it's just – I do think it's worth – I think it should inform how they approach things going forward. And it's not easy – but I do think maybe like you just have to decide and let a dude try to be the dude. And then if he's not the guy replace him maybe, but like to try to play both because they, they definitely had games this year where they're going like one series for one guy, one series for the other. And you just maybe prevent yourself from ever getting the best out of either of them. And they have two years of that. That's proof. And, and what it took was one of the guys getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. Again, what's the right answer? I don't know exactly what the right answer is, but I feel like we know what the right answer is not. And the right answer is not alternating series with two guys that you think are equal. Which but makes I, me I interested think- in the Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor situation. Now, I think may benefit from the, from the fact that they're polar opposites and how they approach the game right now. Travion Henderson is clearly a between the tackles. Give me the ball 30 times and I'm going to go get you yards. While Evan Pryor is more of a all purpose, maybe more like Travis ATN is for Clemson right now. And so maybe you can work it a little easier, but I am interested. I mean, you just recruited to it. So now it's, you, you have to try it again. You recruited to, but the point is at some point, and I understand what you're saying. And the Browns have that right now with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And it's working pretty well. And part of it is mm-hmm. because they think they're different style runners, but it's really about playing time. It's regardless of, I mean, it's if, if, if Evan Pryor is in for a series and then Trivion Henderson is in for a series and then Evan Pryor is in for a series and they're both lining up a tailback, it doesn't matter what their style is. Neither of them is the primary back. Neither of them is getting in a groove. Neither of them is getting a workload. Neither of them is feeling things out. They're alternating. So it might work from, oh, it keeps the defense on its heels. And again, a lot of these teams don't like to go situational. They don't like to say, well, on... You know, Travion Henderson's going to be like the third down back. Ohio State's never used a third Mm -hmm. down back. So if you're going to tell me, well, Travion Henderson's going to play first and second down and Evan Pryor's coming in on third down to pass protect and they throw him swing passes. Okay, they've never done that before. And it feels like a lot of teams don't like to do that. So in the NFL with workload and all that stuff, they like the two back system. I just I think it is easier said than done in college. And I think there are two seasons now at Ohio State that to me, however, this works. I would just my inclination would be let give Trayvon Henderson the ball 20 times a game and let him go. And then Evan Pryor is there as a backup or whatever. Or if Evan Pryor beats him out in camp, so be it. But man, I just this makes me Steven, this makes me not encouraged, right? No. Not encouraged about the idea of a of a timeshare. But the it's, circumstances it's, this season were very different, I thought. 
You had yeah, you're guy right. coming off an injury. You had another guy who was a grad transfer into the program. They were kind of both coming from coming out of something. And I don't know that I don't I agree with everything you're saying. I just don't know that Ohio State approached this the wrong way. And especially the way that it turned out, you can't really argue with at this point. I think they'd have been better off given what if they were going to do the back and forth thing to start the season, those first three games, then give Master Chief the whole first quarter, give Trey Sermon the whole second quarter, give another guy the whole third quarter, and then go from there. And then you basically, you got by the end of the third game, both of those guys have played a game and a half of full football to go off of. I think the problem is they've gone from a two back system where the running game just does not exist to all of a sudden you just give one guy the ball and they're breaking records. It's, it's, it's too glaring of a, of a, a problem. If it was just, a guy going from three yards to six and a half yards per game and it was just normal, then maybe, yeah, I'd be a little bit more okay with it. But that's too glaring. The thing that I don't like about stuff like this, and I know it happens a lot, but I still don't like it because I said I'm going to have opinions even if I don't have information. They wound up with one running back because the other guy got hurt. They didn't decide anything. It was decided for them. So it's like I'm not – so to your point, Nathan, yeah, worked out like a mamma jamma. Look at this dude. He's karate kicking people in the shoulder. It's unbelievable. But if yeah. Master Teague had been healthy for the Big Ten championship game, he played. Ah, uh, wow. He did. He started. And he did. He started. And oh, he looked well, like he was doing fine early right, on sorry. in the game. He got hurt and, during the game. But if and, he'd been healthy then for Clemson, right? Yeah. And if Ohio State's running back recruiting wouldn't have went sour, would J.K. Dobbins would have just been the man in 2019? If oh, Ryan well, no, Sneed they, had actually no 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 they would have so Sneed would have worked out and been the top one hundred recruit that he was and not had the no, no, no. issues. I know what you're saying, but that's not the same. I mean, no, because J.K. was the established guy. The deal with J.K. is that J.K. was so awesome and young, and Mike Weber was average, and mm-hmm. then Mike Weber got hurt, and then J.K. went nuts, and then when Mike Weber was back the next year, he was the older kind of average guy, and J.K. was the younger awesome guy. But okay. J.K. would have been older and awesome, and whatever freshman they had in 2019 <laughs> would have had to sit because J.K. was the man. But so, isn't that what they're going to have this fall with this coming fall with Henderson and Teague? No, because Teague's not older and awesome. He's the old average well, he, guy. Well, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's so the Weber. He's the Weber. So right. he's the Weber, and, he, and Henderson's the Dobbins. And, and if he, if he gets last, hurt, Henderson will be out there against Minnesota, and he might do exactly what, Tra- what J.K. Dobbins did against Indiana. But we're saying the Weber and Dobbins thing didn't work. So if yeah. they're going to, if Weber and Dobbins, if Teague and Henderson would be like Weber and Dobbins, that didn't work. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, so that'll be an interesting thing to watch is how they handle that dynamic because I, I, I but isn't you, there, don't you think their first inclination is going to be to mix both of those guys together? Yeah, I think yeah. it is because I think they love master Teague and I think master Teague is lovable and works his butt off and came back from injury and does everything they ask him to do. But if Trevion Henderson is, is, is the best running back recruited Ohio state ever, I, like you got to play. <laughs> like, I, yeah. and, 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 and again, it's big boy school. I don't know. It just, I think we have a little more evidence that uh, that doesn't mean like you don't want him to transfer, but somebody's the backup. They're the backup. And then if the starter gets hurt, you have a good backup. But I don't know that you're ever going to get the best out of the best running back if you don't treat him like the starter. If you treat him in a timeshare, I don't know that you're ever going to get the best out of either of them. I think you might have to make a hard decision, even if it hurts people's feelings. I like how we have a national championship game to cover on Monday and we're talking about running back usage in the fall of 2021. But that's what you come to Buckeye Talk for. We, but, but we're covering for real, all bases. They loved it. They loved it. This oh, is I'm sure. Oh, yeah. People love oh, this. Yeah. 
They love. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm well aware. I get the texts. So I hope you do too. 614-350-3315. Now's a great time to join because it'll take you right through the championship game and then into the wake of whatever comes after that. Probably going to be some roster announcements and things like that coming out after guys make decisions. And, and we'll be bringing that to you on the text first. So anything else before we wrap it up? Man, Markel Fultz tore his ACL. Come on, that, man. That guy's, that guy's friends with Chase Young. No, I, I think it's uh, – it felt like – but it felt like today – I mean, again, no one's going to say anything publicly, but the vibe on the calls and everything is like full steam ahead for Monday, yeah. right? Yeah. There was there was no indication that they're they're wavering. Um, I think, you know, somebody on Alabama was asked, like, what's it like to have this uncertainty? And they were kind of like, eh, we're not thinking about it that way. We're just – we're practicing and preparing to play. Kind of the same thing Ohio State players would have said. Actually, I think it's what – Ohio State players were saying, like literally Justin Hilliard might have just said that before they canceled the Michigan game on a call while he was at the mic. So um, that this is just the reality. It's fluid. We'll keep monitoring, but who knows what could happen between now and Monday. We got through another Justin Hilliard media availability without something getting canceled. That's a positive. I mean, I don't – it's like uh, – I mean, I don't want to joke about it. But the Ohio State – National championship game media availability has been canceled because the United States is no longer a democracy. It's like, what? I mean, it's like, I, I, I just don't know when the world is like, when it is the surreal. world supposed to infringe and, and, and not infringe. So like, I, I, it's not funny, but it is a little ridiculous but doesn't, I mean, they shouldn't cancel a football game because there's crazy stuff in the world, as we said. So, um, well, I hope I mean, it, I, I mean, it doesn't get worse. Yeah, it depends on how crazy we're talking. Uh, it was no, but it was real. It was surreal to be on that call today, and especially for like the half hour that it took to start the call, or twenty minutes when Ohio State wasn't there at the scheduled time. Which it's kind of a window; it's not a scheduled time. But then, like my wife, who's a journalist, is like texting me, like, "Hey, you might want to turn on a TV." <laughs> like, well. I'm a little bit, a little bit busy right now. And to have to like getting like little updates while you're sitting there trying to ask somebody about Najee Harris, like it was, it was surreal. And you I know they're asking Kerry Combs about how do you teach defending a deep ball when the world might be falling apart, but you do well, did anyone it. ask? And I know there's a, there's a particularly cheesy question asker uh, that, that appears sometimes on these, uh, on these zoom calls. One? You know, some, was just there one? any, <laughs> just one, <laughs> Was there was there anything along the lines of like, Carrie? Obviously, guys, you guys really focused on this game ahead on Monday evening, oh. big one for the program. But gotta ask you about what's going on in Capitol Hill right now, Carrie. I know this isn't your area of expertise, but just wondering how you thought the Capitol Police handled it today, and what would you have done in the face of insurrectionists if they were attempting to go up the Capitol steps. I know that's not your area of expertise, but felt like I just had to get you to check in on this, Carrie. I understand you got a big game ahead, but would appreciate your thoughts. Any questions like that? Nothing that ridiculous, but <laughs> no, it, it no, was but... also happening in real time at that point. It wouldn't surprise me if tomorrow players get, I mean, players have been asked kind of about, you know, social justice. I swear things, someone's so going to ask and, Justin and Fields be, about it tomorrow if we get him. Yeah, it would not, it would not shock me. I would put, I would put the over under at 0.5 questions about that. I guess the, the over-under is always a 0.5, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love it's either zero or there are some. It's just so spot on with, with how some people ask questions. So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's not funny, but it's absurd. That's the thing. It, like the, in the big context, there is some absurdity to this. But we're sports writers, and we're supposed to be able to talk about this. I mean, we're supposed to be able to talk about football because football matters. Football does matter, and this is a really cool 
awesome, fun game that everybody is really looking forward to. And maybe everything will just be really super chill by the, by the time we get to Monday. I hope so. Tomorrow we will be back. It's the opposite interviews tomorrow. It's Alabama defense, Ohio state offense. We are scheduled to talk to Justin Fields. We'll find out what's going on with uh, his achy midsection and We'll bring that back to you. We'll bring it on to you, the text, and we'll be back to talk about it here on Buckeye Talk after that. So I am Nathan Baird for Doug Lamarice for Stephen Means. That was Buckeye Talk. 